Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Welcome to Books Live from the Grand Library, the Dean and PJ. Is PJ. Hello there, everyone. I'm the Dean, and we are the Books Boys. The one and only. The special. This is the Books Boys show. Get it? Buy it? Books. Books. Definition, uh, a mixture of paper. So mixture of paper, yes. Yeah. And we're telling people to buy the, the general concept of books. But there's been Singular a big concept. problem. There's been a big problem, Dean, actually. I've been getting a lot of complaints. Um, oh, no. Yes, people have been confusing books with uh, toilet roll paper. And it's just everyone's this been buying at the pharmacy. Problem. Yes, because they understand that book. Because a book is a collection of, of uh, paper. So they've been trying to read... It is a, a paperous subject. It is indeed. Yes, so it's been very difficult trying to read The, the Tempest uh, from a toilet roll. And it's all been mm-hmm. a bit of a disaster. So okay, everyone, look, public service announcement. Um, do not try to read very important classical pieces of literature from the toilet roll. You, you will find it's not as good. It's not quite as good, but it might be easier to understand sometimes, you know, sometimes. It might be. <laughs> it might be. It might be. The language is simpler, for sure. The language is simpler. It's very abstract. That's the ultimate abstract form. Isn't it? That's the ultimate kind of modernist concept. Let's try to be experimental. And like, let's so some go wordy and some of them, let's go minimal, minimal. At the end, you just blank piece of paper and that's it. Well, if you're a new listener and you have no idea what we're talking about, basically we're the books boys and we're on a mission to teach the kids about books. Put down your clouds and your, your Twitters and get some books. Talking about books and teaching the kids. We've got something very exciting starting this month. Uh, do you want to, do you want to mention what it is? We do you? indeed. Uh, some of you were quick enough to get the download while it was up last weekend on the feed, but we have our new Patreon launched, patreon.com slash booksboys. And that's our new show. You've heard it teased before. It's the Bufanda Boys. Bufanda Boys. Good Lord. So what you get on the Bufanda Boys is you get this show recorded early with scarves. Oh. And oh. you get our bonus shows. And we've already put up five episodes of the Playboys. Oh, Playboys. Now, we'll find the boys. So it's basically the concept comes from that we're just doing the show, but that you can see us. So it's kind of, kind of we're just doing the show again. That was the original concept. But wearing fancy scarves. But, but of course, now we're doing it again two days previous. So we're doing Ooh. the show. It's a, re, it's a word-for-word re-recording of the show in the past. Going back in time, yes. With conceptual-only scarves, because it's summer. Um, but yeah, the, 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 key point, the key points are you get the show early, and you get our bonus shows. So we've got the Playboys, which is our Shakespeare. And, well, there will be some Greek plays too. Mm. But at the moment, we've done five uh, Shakespeare's. Mm. 
and we go into those in depth. Indeed. And um, so you're going to get essentially, instead of a monthly show, you will get a weekly show because you will get the the original show, you will get mm-hmm. the Playboys, you will oh. get the Caper Captains, where we talk about some some Agatha Christie. Oh. Fancy stuff. And you will also get some interviews from the vault, uh, old interviews with musicians um, that I did many, many years ago that I've, I've thrown up a few of those on there as well. So you're going nice. to be able to get a lot of extra content uh, for the less than the price of a cup of coffee per month. It's, uh, and guys, and we're getting into, and we're getting deep into the works of the Bard. So we're talking about all his plays um, just slowly. So we've got about five, six coming up. So we'll see how many will get mm-hmm. done. They won't only stick with old, the old Shakespeare, uh, as Dee mentioned. We'll be getting into Greek plays. I have some plays ready as well. We're, we're some projects, but you know we don't want to give them away right now. Um, just so you know that there'll be several kind of new content coming up if you sign up to Patreon. And for this month, May, we're doing it for three dollars. Is that right, Dean? It's just a special yeah, discount. Yeah, it's, it's done there for three dollars. Um, we just are for thinking one month. about about sort of settling that on five, but we thought we'd mm. start it out, you know, a little bit less, just to get some people um, to try it out. That's um, very good. And do you know what? For anyone that wants to support the show but doesn't want to pay a monthly fee, there is a button on there to just donate a one-off. If you think I, I can't afford to pay every month, but I'll give these guys five dollars, just buy uh-huh. us a book. Just buy us a book. Just buy us a book, guys. You know, just buy us a book. Toilet paper, books. Send us some toilet whatever. paper. That's whatever, what whatever you want. Whatever you want. We'll write on the toilet paper. We'll write some great stuff. So there you go. <laughs> so yeah. So we've been busy reading Shakespeare this month. Now I, I, I made you. Have. You've done more reading, but I've really like only almost only read the Bard and getting. Ah, really but PJ, into... I cheated because oh? I spend most of the month reading Shakespeare, the same as you, and as a result of that. Um, I did read a lot of other books, but they're shorter books. You know, I, yeah, I've right. got the num- the quantity is up, but the the, the quality is down, oh. and the actual length of the books is down. So you know, to, and it's it. very amusing, kind of reading the Bard and then reading something very modern in between. It's kind of <laughs> yeah, is. like I mean, and I have to say though, I've always enjoyed Shakespeare, but getting really into him, um, well, that sounds a bit well, getting really into. The- the works of the bards, shall I put it that way? It was very, um, what's the word? It was just a lot of fun and talking about it. Was it was a lot you. of fun. I never done that before. Talking with someone, re- reading Shakespeare together with someone, then talking about it afterwards, mm-hmm. and this is the results of our, of our. And for anyone that's interested, we've done Midsummer Night's Dream, The Tempest, The Comedy of Errors, As You Like It, also known as As PJ Doesn't Like It, and then <laughs> um, we've done Romeo and Juliet. And right. up next, we think it's going to be Hamlet. So that's right. Good stuff. There's more. There's more coming. Actually, guys, if you have any thoughts about Shakespeare or would like us to read a specific play of Shakespeare that hasn't been mentioned yet, go ahead and leave a comment. We'll, we'll be delighted you can to leave take a any comment play. on the site. You can also email booksboysathotmail.com. And once we get people signed up for the Patreon, we can actually do polls on there, mm. and the people who are listening can uh, can vote for which plays they want. So that's something we can do in the future as well. Exactly. There you go. And yeah, guys, just go ahead and just ask us any questions about anything you like at all, about life, about Shakespeare, about why why we wear scarves, anything you like, or what books are. Just ask us the question, what is a book? And we'll try to come up with a solution, but I haven't come up with a good definition quite yet. It's, it's a very difficult question. It is, it, it is a, lot a difficult of, question. A lot of material. But in, yeah, so in addition to reading Shakespeare, we have read some other books this month, and we will talk about them. 
Um, I read Psycho, but that's for a super secret special mm. project coming up in the next month. So you'll you'll know about that when it happens. Oh yeah. Um, I've done a few other things. I've been I've been interviewed by another podcast, but that's not available yet. So as soon as they post that episode, I'll mention it on our next episode then, awesome. and I'll tell people how to find that as well. Um, but what we're going to talk about today are the bo- the other books that we've read this month. So. I started out, you know, we finished last month. I went to apply to be a governess. I didn't get the job, sadly. My my references were insufficient. <laughs> um, so I've come oh, no, back and I've that. read another Victorian book. I've read The Mill on the Floss by uh, a Miss George Eliot. Miss George Eliot. All right. And it's supposed to be a classic. But the, it's supposed I... to be a classic. Now, now, I can see the look that PJ's giving me on the, on the uh-huh. Super Secret webcam session uh-huh. here. Uh, where we are joined this week by a Cupid, joined a by Cupid. Cupid this month in the webcam sessions. Shakespeare would be um, proud. Yeah, turns out that I didn't like this book. Oh, no. So, oh, I mean, no. I read a 500-page book, and then in the end, I still didn't really know what, what the title meant, uh, The Mill on the Floss. So they work at a mill. I guess the floss is the river or the riverbank or the, the area. <laughs> it's not exactly the town. It's kind of semi-unclear. Uh, I'm not really that important to be to be honest, um, uh-huh. but like this this book basically it's about a little girl called Maggie Tulliver and her slightly older brother Tom, and the early parts of the book are set during their childhood and Maggie's misbehaving and she's cutting her hair off to spite her parents <laughs> and all this kind of stuff. Gee. Um, to be honest, the early part of the book this book could have been made shorter because the first quarter is just irrelevant. You know, then they grow up suddenly and the rest of the book takes place during their sort of more adult lives so hmm. I, th- I think we we could have uh, lost a little bit of content here mm-hmm. okay uh, so george Eliot, if you're listening uh, in the in the future graves when you're writing this book again just trim it down well she might be because we, we we seem to be time traveling with all those patreon things three days That's so it. we might be we, we, we never traveling. know like yeah know. so there you go but um the thing is so there's not a massive amount to say about the book it's a slow mover in the typical victorian fashion but Basically, what happens is um, Tom gets sent off to school, the dad runs the mill, and Maggie falls in love with um, uh, this little chap, uh, Philip. Hmm. The problem with, with Maggie's uh, lover, and they just meet in the, the, the woods and talk, and he gives her some books and, you know, whatever, but he's got oh. some kind of uh, physical like health problems. He sounds like a great lad, right? Yeah. He's got some physical health problems. Um, uh, it's sort of described that he's somewhat of a cripple but she you know she overlooks that that's fine no and um, the problem is this chap is kind of a bit classier than them a bit better off and also his dad is the rival of her dad so Ooh. they are forbidden they are forbidden so it is a bit of a romeo and juliet kind of a bit version. of a romeo and juliet Victorian. they're forbidden to be together um and they have to do a bit of sneaking around nope. um but what happens is, and it's not a major spoiler because it happens early on, is that Maggie and Tom's dad, um, he he gets sick for a while, and then he does unfortunately pass away and, and leave Tom to kind of become the the man of the house. It seems to be every Victorian English, every English Victorian novel is just like, you know, some parent me- parent member dies, and then the kids are kind of left to their own devices. And literally every time the same thing. Like every it Victorian is, yeah. novel you've told me about, uh, just is, is that that's it. Just and I'm going to give you a quote. I'm going to give you a quote because I should, to George Eliot's credit, there's a little bit of that Dickensian wit. Oh. Not not a lot, but there's little instances of it. Okay. So he wants the, he wants Tom to be clever, but not too clever. He doesn't want him to be a lawyer <laughs> because he thinks that lawyers are just you know dirty swindlers uh, basically. Um, 
but there's this particular quote that I like. Mm-hmm. So they have these family members, the mama's four sisters, and they all get involved and they all say the dad's not good enough. And anytime anything happens, this never happened in our family before you married into that other family, the Tullivers, you know, in our in our family, this kind of thing was never heard of before. And what would the neighbors <laughs> think? And there's an, there's an awful lot of that goes on. Okay. And they say, they say the following, it is well known that this conjugal complacency belongs only to the weaker portion of the sex who are scarcely alive to the responsibilities of a wife as a constituted check on her husband's pleasures, which are hardly ever of a rational or commendable kind. So the, the, the sisters believe that the wife's job is just to make the husband's life less pleasurable because his hobbies were garbage anyway, basically. Right, okay. Oh god, okay. So there's a bit of and there's a bit of wit there, okay. You made it sound there's very a, there's dry. a there's a the there's note. a bit of wit. Uh, it's not quite as dry. But the main problem is Maggie goes to see her her uh, cousin for a while. Mm-hmm. And uh, even though she's got Philip, Philip's best friend is is engaged to Maggie's cousin. So they've got mm-hmm. this lovely little foursome. They can go pleasure boating and singing and playing piano and various things until Maggie and Stephen fall in love with each other. So that's the cousin's fiance. So oh. they fall in love. Insert scandal here. Oh. Insert Victorian morals here. Girl banished from home and from the town and all this kind of things. And then the, the plot goes on. Oh. Okay. Cheeky. But I have to mention our favorite scene, PJ, which yes. is after the dad gets sick and he's sitting in his, his armchair. <laughs> Maggie likes to spend her evenings. <laughs> likes to spend her evenings at her father's knee. So she will just take a little low stool and just sit on the floor, you know, almost on the floor after she's finished her day of sewing and just rest her head on her father's knee all evening, just hoping that he will provide some kind of notice that she's there, some kind of affection, maybe tussle her hair or speak with her. And he does not. So she just spends her days just sitting, waiting to be acknowledged. (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. That's such a again. That's such a Victorian theme, isn't it? I mean, I find it. Yes, oh my God, <laughs> it's very Victorian. Uh, did you know, the, by the way, that Eliot uh, translated uh, German uh, religious and philosophical texts, including um, I think it was, I think she translated Feuerbach, and I think she might have translated. No, Nietzsche came later, but she read Nietzsche, I believe. So she was kind of influenced by some of these German okay. philosophers as well. Um, but she, I think she might be, be, have been more influenced by the slightly more religious kind of mm-hmm. philosophy, like, you know, like Friedrich Strauss, uh, life of Jesus, which is more of a humanist impression of Jesus Christ as a man and not as a divine person. But it's kind of, I think she's, I think she might be taking some kind of religious philosophical themes when she was it, translating. It, it could be that, that, that is, you know, consistent with what I read. Definitely. Okay. Yeah. Um, this is one of her early books, actually, 1860. Maybe I need to try the more famous ones, you know, Middlemarch, for example, or, or even Silas Mariner. You know, I'm, I might, I'm not saying that I, I liked this. It was a pleasant read. Just not a lot really happened. You know, it wasn't anything special uh, as far as the Victorian stuff goes. And then, of course, the ending sweeps away the entire story and effectively oh, makes no. all the details of the book and all the family issues and everything just completely irrelevant. So it, it, it's almost like a a kind of deus ex machina, but it's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's not a god from the machine, it's just a, a sudden freak event, which just kind of makes everything, and it's such a depressing ending. I mean, my god, it's... But, guys, just yeah. in case you're wondering why all these Victorian novels, they seem so depressing, well, 
um, you know, Victorian England was a pretty depressing place. I mean, if you think about it, a lot of industrial revolu- um, the industrial revolution was happening and a lot of people were repressed. And sure, Marx ta- talks about it. But Dickens, Eliot, um, these people, Thomas Hardy later on, they talked a lot about the people being suppressed. And especially Eliot and Thomas Hardy, especially, they go more into the province and they talk about the people who don't live in the cities who work in like farms and under under harsh conditions and basically that's part of that's part of the overall realistic movement in literature that happened around the second half of the 19th century so all these people you know who were concerned like Karl Marx all these people who were concerned about society they talked about society and yeah they often had depressing endings gritty sort of backgrounds and uh, they were big into descriptions. So that's why these books are very long and sometimes wordy. But you get the same thing in Spain with Benito Perez Galdós or Balzac and, Flo- and Flaubert in France. Um, yes, so, I mean, it's quite a common thing. But I find they can be, they're brilliant. Like, I don't know, Dean, I think they, they're all usually brilliant describers. They describe brilliantly. But I yes. a- almost always feel like, my God, could you just please edit this novel down by 200 pages or... <laughs> like Anna yes. Karenina it's just Anna Karenina is a short story and just no editor would dare to go to <laughs> no, no, no editor so what he did was you know okay so Toadster wrote a short story and then the guys you know who the editor said well what about that farming manual that you've been trying to get out for 20 years or whatever can you not just add that in the 700 in. farming 700 page farming manual to the short story and that's it <laughs> It's, it's I wonder if that was even intentional. Do you think like he, he left a script on their desk and, you know, the farming manual was sitting beside <laughs> it and some clerk just picked it all up together and I all know what it was. got mixed in. You know? They needed, so he wrote, I bet he wrote a farming manual. No one wanted it, of course. And then he said, right, well, I've got this short story. And he said, well, look, actually, we want a big novel, like War and Peace, because so that, that came earlier. He said, well, I've got this farming manual. Okay, don't worry, Liv. Don't worry, old, old chap. We're just going to put the short story in the middle of your farming manual and call the whole thing a novel. That's it. And that's how to do it. So chaps, look, if you want to write a novel and you're struggling, just write some mundane details um, about farming <laughs> and then just, you know, just put some characters in and call it a novel. It's called the Tolstoy method. It's basically, you know, it's just, I mean, if Lev Tolstoy would be alive now, he'd probably be doing TED Talks and all these kind of like hundreds pounds workshops, how, how to like, <laughs> what to do with recycling kind of material, you know? literature could well be well before i move on i do have another quote and this is it is from the mill and the floss but it tells you in, in, in case you're wondering all these victorian books sound awful what's dean's obsession with them this quote pretty much sums it up it's the romance it's mm. the it's the it's that wuthering heights style romance mm. maggie whose pain can have been like mine whose injury is like mine who besides me has met that long look of love that has burned itself into my soul so that no other image can come there maggie call me back to you call me back to life and goodness i am banished from both now i have no motives i am indifferent to everything two months have only <laughs> deepened the certainty that i can never care for life without you uh, Write me one word. Come in two days. I shall be with you. It's just this yearning and this intensity that I love. Well, that's yeah. I feel like to be honest, I just talked about realism, but I feel like uh, British literature always kept that kind of over, kind of romantic, Woodring Heights romanticism. They didn't really get too deep. I find into into like just gritty realism or naturalism. 
they didn't not as much as some of their european counterparts i think british literature did stay very romantic and i get uh, that because because you, you love you love all that stuff so yeah i can completely get why why you love um, it. victorian literature so then after that book what i thought i would do pj is i thought why don't i do our guilty pleasure book for the month oh, um and I, I thought I would read Virginia Andrews' Flowers in the Attic. This was this was given to me, the first three books in this series out of the five. Oh, really? Um, and I thought, okay, look, this looks similar to some of the guilty pleasure stuff I've read. But no, I actually, like, genuinely really liked Flowers in the Attic to wow. the point where I, I think it's a genuinely good book. I do have some comments cool. about it, and there's some some controversies about it. But as, as a standalone book out of a series, you know, if we look at it on its own, I thought it was a really, really powerful book. Right, Virginia Andrews, by the way, um, there's five books in this series. Hmm. The fifth one was co it was a prequel and was co-written um, actually by a ghostwriter. So she died in the 80s. Most Virginia Andrews books were oh. not really written by her. She's been dead for years. Um, but right. they keep re- releasing books under her name. Okay. Wow, okay. So, so basically... she only wrote like 12 books and then there's like 60. <laughs> okay, so it's kind of the... All right, okay. So it's kind of... I thought she was alive, honestly, still. No, they, they just keep using her name. But she's right. gone. Okay, she died but that, in, in 1986, I think. So that adds to the creepiness to her stories, right? Because she is uh, essentially a horror uh, novelist, isn't she? I, I guess, yeah. Yeah. But this is this is an early one. It's 1979, um, and it's about the Dolan So mm. it's her first novel. Basically, we have this family, um, and they're a happy little family. And the early scenes just show the mum's so happy. The dad goes out to work and the, comes back and the mum gets all pretty for him. And they have little parties and the kids are there and they're all beautiful. And everyone calls them the Dresden dolls because they're just such a perfect little beautiful family. And you think, well, okay, this is a novel. So what's going to happen to destroy this perfect, beautiful family? You know, something's going to happen. And of course, the dad dies in a car accident. Again, kind of a Victorian theme. Not, to, not honestly, because that's like American Gothic. This is now we're going to American Gothic, but it's so Victorian still. It like. is a bit. It is, yeah. yeah. I mean, there's there's some Victorian flashback type traits in this book. Um, and basically what happens is the mum says, I mean, and the oldest kids at this point are 14. So there's, there's Chris named after the dad. The mum's Corrine. They all start with C. The older son is, so he's Chris. The daughter, who's the narrator, is Kathy. And then there's two little twins, uh, Corey and Carrie. Huh. And the mum says, well, I never told you this in your entire life, but um, my parents are mega rich and we're going to go live with them now. But actually, they didn't like the fact that I married. They disinherited me. They don't speak to me anymore. And they don't actually know that I have children. So the mum's letting us sneak in, but the dad can't know about it. So just hide in this one room for maybe one, maybe two nights, you know, and I'll try to win back his affections. That's mad. So they're waiting and waiting. And she says, look, we're going to inherit all his money. He's going to die in a month or two. We're going to get everything. So just sit tight, you know? And they've got this one room with stairs to the attic full of mice and spiders. And it's like cold and it's horrendously cold up there. And they go to live in this massive mansion and the kids are locked in one room. And then a day becomes two days. Two days becomes a week. A week becomes a month. And in the end, they're there for four and a half years almost. Right. Great plot so far, yeah. Mm -hmm. And they're the flowers in the attic. They are the flowers, and they're spending most of their time in the in the attic. Mm. Uh, and the grandmother comes in and feeds them, you know, just some cold food in a basket every morning. And they've got a list of rules. They're not allowed to look at each other. They're not allowed to share the bathrooms or share the beds because she's afraid of incest, basically. And it turns out the reason she's afraid of incest is because the mother and father 
were relatives. They were uncle and niece who got married and had the kids, and that's why the father disowned them. Unfortunate, yeah. Hmm. All right. The problem is, in order to atone and be let back into the house, the mother has to take down her blouse and let the grandmother whip her back. One whip for every year of her life. And then they accept her back after that penance. But there's always this threat to the children. Now, to be honest, I think only once the children really get hit in those hmm. four years. But there's always a threat of it. And at one point, tar gets poured on the girl's hair so that she can't be pretty anymore. And, you know, these are kids going through puberty and they're not allowed to look at their bodies or anything like this. They're just taught that they're sinful, that they're devil spawn by this religious fanatic uh, grandmother. Oh, okay, That's glad. Well, so we got all the themes of classic kind of not classic, but kind of American Gothic, 20th century American Gothic. You got the Mm -hmm. incense themes. We got the kind of perfect kind of family that's only perfect in the surface. And it's there's a lot of deep um, repression beneath it. And you've got the element of tension, right? That's in Gothic. That's yeah. what's going to happen. So, I mean, and this was released in 1979. So you got all these, you got the kind of horror film uh, movement happening with Halloween and, uh, you know, Jason the, thir- uh, Jason the 13th, Jason the 13th and Friday the 13th coming up. So, I mean, it seems to be a kind of a very relevant thing for the time, like kind of. Yeah, there there is a movie of this, but it got bad reviews, so I haven't watched it. I don't want to spoil the book for myself. Fair um, enough, yeah. But I should say, I've made it sound really good. I do have to just quickly mention the negative aspects. Mm-hmm. The book takes place in a strange world. It's a bit Freudian. It's a bit depraved. Um, it's a world where all this plot stuff about being trapped in the attic and everything, that's the scary stuff, right? And I mean, the mum the keeps basically coming in and saying, I'll just buy you gifts and then you'll love me. But she stops visiting them. You know, daily becomes weekly, becomes monthly, becomes quarterly, that she never goes to see them. But she'll just come in with gifts and they start saying, mum, you're like looking great and radiant and you're playing tennis and you're coming in in amazing dresses with jewellery. You've got a new car. We're starving. We're hungry. We're thin. We're not growing. We look ill. You know, and it, it, it's horrible. Um, but then you add in these Freudian elements where the brother and sister do become attracted to each other despite the grandmother's rules and there's a sexual assault and it all just gets a bit muddled and the the book takes place in a weird universe where it is assumed not only that the brother and sister are attracted to each other but that they were both attracted to their opposite sex parents and it's just normal like it's not even considered strange that the boy fancies the, the, the sister only because she looks like the mother and and vice versa for you know it's it's a bizarre sort of setting okay yeah. um and there's some there's some bits that were were hard to read at times um but overall i liked it as a book hmm. and that was my folly because then i read the damn sequel oh no petals on the wind and did it live up to its hype <sighs> no um oh, no. The sequel's garbage so okay. I came in thinking the first book was going to be a bit trashy and it turned out to be really good. The okay. second book is the trashy book that I thought the first book was going to be. Okay, okay unfortunate. Yeah. So they've now escaped from the attic and the, the boy wants to be a doctor, the girl wants to be a ballerina, but they meet this guy, Dr. Paul, and he's a 40-odd-year-old widower, 40 or 41, and he takes them in. And at this point, the daughter is 12 and the older son is... Um, few years older so i think he's maybe 18 ish now and he takes them in and the Mm. daughter immediately then tries to seduce the father 
the new father, the adopted father. She decides, well, he's a handsome guy. Yes, he's 25, 26 years older than me. And he keeps saying to her, like, please, you know, I want you to just be my my daughter, my son. I'm happy with this situation. Yeah. But she's always like wearing skimpy clothing and know. sitting on his lap and stroking his cheek. I mean, at one point she just grabs him by the crotch when he refuses to kiss her, you know, and she takes <laughs> a lot of measures to, to, to tempt him. I mean... And eventually he, he makes them, you know, it takes two to tango kind of thing, but he gives in and <laughs> off they go. And they decide that they want to marry. It's a very kind of trashy depiction, isn't it? Of, um, of yeah, women, because at I the same time, very... at the same time, the brother is obsessed with her. Like he doesn't want anyone else to date her. He, she's, she's his. He's very possessive. And I'm, I'm surprised it's a woman who wrote it because it sounds like more like a man writing it who doesn't know women. Do you know what I mean? Like the opposite kind of just. Yeah, that is a theme throughout this series. It's sort of a new, you know, because yeah. you get these type of themes in old Victorian books, and then you say, well, they were written by, you know, yeah, so, old man. But yeah. these, this is written by a woman, so it's, it's mm. slightly unusual. Okay, strange. But the way you make it sound, I mean, I haven't read the book, but it's got all the themes of Southern Gothic, guys. So it's Southern Gothic is Gothic fiction in America, especially in, the, as I said, like 70s onwards, uh, but also like William Faulkner kind of got into it a bit. And it's always got a, a disturbing uh, character in it. Usually, like, usually it is a religious fanatic or someone who's joined a cult, someone who believes something that is not really accepted. Uh, it's got a, a very kind of alienating, kind of dark, disturbing settings. The situation is almost always absurd or like kind of like it's kind of a nightmare situation. Like, oh, my car is stuck in the middle of nowhere or, oh, I'm stuck in the attic. Like in this case, mm-hmm. uh, plus poverty is a big thing in certain gothic. So I don't know how much that is in it, but poverty and crime and like physical, psychological kind of mm-hmm. distancing. So it's got all that there. And actually, guys, if you you probably know it's more from films because all those films, uh, like we mentioned before, sl- slasher movies like Texas Chainsaw Massacre. But also moving on to more modern films like Park Chan Wook's um, film Stoker, they've all got these this eccentric sort of Southern American, yes, you know, some kind of you know Federalist kind of person who's not he's not you know he's not really modern anymore. He's too old fashioned as well, or he's too he's too bizarre. Mm. So interesting. Now, I would like to read the first book, but like the second one just sounds too much. Just sounds way too much. Yeah, just read the first. I mean, I haven't even got into the half of it. Okay. So the the, the ballerina oh girl, God. I mean her she's her teacher's son fancies her and they dance together. They make beautiful magic when they dance. They've got love and passion and chemistry. But he becomes possessive of her again and decides that they're going to date. And despite her brother, instead of marrying the adopted father, she marries this guy who's horrible to her. Like he hurts oh, no. her. He pushes her gives her black eyes at one point. He you know, he leaves her out in the rain and drives off without her. Like he's 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 just horrible. Yeah. But um, she marries him anyway. They have a tumultuous relationship. And then they have a child. Uh, and while she's pregnant, he dies. So that she can then marry the adopted father. Um, oh, right. okay. But in between, she also decides, well, you know what I'd like to do? That mother who was horrible to us. She's yeah. gotten remarried. So my revenge is going to be to seduce her new husband. Oh, no. And have a child with her new husband. Who's also 25 years older than me. Oh, that's so, a bit much now. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, at that point, I, I they lost me with that. Like that was unnecessary, and it was it was a bit much, you know. So it's but, it's it's a kind of an exploitation kind of book, isn't it? Just getting, just getting like trying bit, yeah. to grab the attention of some. Okay, that's disappointing. And 
I don't know if you'll be surprised, but after that, I needed a, a palate cleanser. PJ. I wasn't I surprised. The third one. So I, I believe I have no. I have no in- I have no intention of reading all, f- all five. I think I'm going to stop at three. <laughs> okay, I but I just so. thought, I can't do three right now. I need to read something pure. So what did you read? As far removed as I could get from Petals on the Winds, I read Pride and Prejudice by one Jane Austen. Another woman author. And one that has yes. more understanding. A woman, probably. Yeah, by the sound of it. Mm-hmm. Okay. And how? How did you enjoy that? Well... I should stress for anyone that says, oh, he's gone back to his Victorian stuff. Uh, this is pre-Victorian. <laughs> this is pre-Victorian, okay? Pre-Victorian, guys. Late romantic, late romantic poetry era, pre-Victorian English. I literature. believe Queen Victoria might have not been born. 1830, right? I think right? so. This is a little bit earlier than your usual core, um, core Victorian stuff. I mean, she's writing mostly late 1700s, you know, mm. so it is a little bit earlier. So, than, yeah. um, than you, the likes of the Brontes and, and, and Dickens. Because and it came out in 1830, Prime, uh, Prime Prejudice. Uh, and Victoria wasn't born until 1819, uh, guys. So don't get confused now. All right. So the thing... So Pride and Prejudice, yeah, 1813, you're, you're right. Uh, after Sense and Sensibility. Now, hmm. I've had six... Uh, is it six? All but one of Jane Austen's books on my bookshelf for months. Hmm. And I just haven't, uh, haven't read any of them. But I just decided now was the right time. The palate cleanser. Okay. Um, so I read Pride and Prejudice, and basically what we have here—I mean, everyone has a rough idea of the story, of the aesthetic. You know, everyone kind of knows what Pride mm-hmm. and Prejudice is. You've seen a movie or whatever. Uh, you got Elizabeth Bennet, and you got Mister Darcy. Now, I think that there's elements of this book that I can actually see as being predecessors, almost to some of the Bronte stuff. Darcy's oh, really? similar to Rochester in Jane Eyre, I think, in certain ways. Okay. Um, and there's there's just certain elements that you you can see creeping into the to the later Victorian uh, literature. And what, what, but, what about the themes? I mean, I haven't actually read Pride and Prejudice, I have to admit. So what are the, the are the themes very similar in the sense of kind of, you know, kind of, because Victorian literature is all about like morality and like yes, kind of... Yes, that's, that's here to a, to oh, a strong okay? height. Wow, yeah. okay. so even then it was re- relevant. Okay, cool. So basically, um, we've got Elizabeth Bennet. She's the main character. Her older sister, Jane, I don't know if that's deliberately named after the author or not. Uh, middle sister Mary, who likes books. That's all we know about Mary. She oh. does nothing the rest of the novel. She just likes to read. Uh, then <laughs> well, we that's have that's the good enough, Dean. Don't underestimate that's good that. Enough, right? <laughs> that's great. That's a great quality, people. If that's all you do, fair play on you. But she's the one who's most grounded in the end. The, the rest of all end up is. doing other things, and she just she sticks with, you know. But we've also got Kitty and Lydia, the two younger ones. Um, and they're a bit wild, especially, especially Lydia. Okay. So the novel starts very slowly, and I, I didn't think I was going to like it. And it's not a long novel. It's less than 400 pages, but I didn't think I was going to like it because it starts out with a lot of slow preamble, a lot of irrelevancies, really, about Jane and, and Mr. Bingley. And Mr. Bingley's going to marry Jane, but then he goes off and he doesn't marry her. For the first quarter of the novel, you don't really know what the central story is or who the main characters are. It just seems to be a bit wishy-washy in the beginning. Hmm. Um, however... What we do need to stress is the very, very beginning, because the book starts with a famous, uh, famous quote, uh, which I'm just going to open the book now. Wait, uh, you see? will have heard this this uh, quote um, before. So here we go. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single man in possession of a good fortune must be in want of a wife. So that's the famous opening line. Yeah, that's famous, yeah. 
And basically what we have is we have that guy Dan of Jane's story with Mr. Bingley, but Jane's very shy. She's very, she's sensible, but she's very much, um, she sees the good in everyone because she's so naive. She can't, she can't believe anyone would do anything bad. Uh, then we've got Lydia who just wants to flirt with soldiers hmm. and bring Kitty with her. So they go off and flirt with soldiers. 16 year old Lydia disappears, runs off with a soldier. And that's the big scandal. It's the Victorian style scandal. You know, you've of course. destroyed the family. We can never see you again. You've eloped with a soldier. You need to move away with him. We can, we can never see you again because you, you were seen with him before the marriage. And that's just too much of a scandal in this society. You know? and, that, and guys, try to remember um, why is Pride and Prejudice relevant? Uh, not just because it's possibly a good novel, but you also have to look at the historic. The 18, uh, eight, 1813 is not really a year for um, realistic novels describing society like Jane Austen does and the moral dilemmas and already describing people who might have been of a decent background, but something scandalous happens and it ruins their lives. So it's moving away from these novels of sensibility. It's, uh, so mm-hmm. these novels from the 18th century, they're very kind of, they're, they're, they're maybe very naive and they didn't really describe realistically the society. Uh, it's more like, um, it's very sentimental. Um, but anyway, but like she's actually moving to realism and it's very early to be honest. Dickens yeah. hasn't, re- you know, Dickens is... Again, is Dickens even born? I believe it might have just been born two years before that. Uh, Balzac even hasn't really Ryan, started. I'm not 100% sure. Yes, Balzac hasn't um, really started writing yet. I mean, it's it's getting into realism already. Dickens' early work, I believe, was in the 1820s or 30s. So he would have been alive, hmm. but he would have been young. You know. So, so, I mean, she's basically starting this off, you know, this whole realistic trend of describing society and all, all what's wrong with society as well. So, and... It, yeah, it's really, this is the prototype for your Victorian literature. It, it really is. Yeah. Um, but the central story is around Elizabeth herself and Mr. Darcy. And Mr. Darcy, everyone says that he's moody, he's this and that. She originally likes a chap called Wickham, who oh. she finds out used to be friends with Darcy, but they fell out. So there's a lot of moral yeah. dilemmas in her between like, well, which guy was the good guy here? Who am I supposed to befriend, you know? Uh, there's a lot of blushing, a lot of shyness when a man looks at you, <laughs> a lot of afraid to meet his gaze. And he, I mean, he's kind of an ass in the early parts of the book. He's really rude to her. And he proposes marriage, but he says, look, you're beneath me. This is going to be a terrible scandal for my society, for my family. You know, uh, uh, your, your, your family's trash compared to mine, but I will marry you anyway. And he just assumes that she's going to say yes. And she's a strong feminist character. <laughs> she tells him where to go. <laughs> and... Then it's nice. almost about his 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 atonement and his redemption. A, a, a certain part of this uh, novel, oh. okay. And I, I don't think I mean we don't normally give spoilers. I don't think it's much of a spoiler to say that they end up together. I think oh, that think everyone now. kind of predicted that, you know. But well, uh, but to be honest, like uh, guys, so these are it's kind of like this is realism starting out, and um, usually they're quite lighthearted, you know. So Dickens, Balzac, Jane Austen, if they're the prototypes of realism. Uh, because they're more like they're coming out of the romantic era. Um, they usually do end up quite happily, you know, that kind of happily resolves in in like Dickens and Jane Austen. But that goes away. Yeah, even, that goes away later in realism. It's only yes, at the beginning it does. of the realism. But even in Dickens, no matter how sad and depressing 
parts of the book are. They always get happily married in the last 50 pages. You know, it's always like, you know, and then everything worked out fine. Because but, <laughs> they need that. Yeah, exactly. And that goes away as George Eliot in the 1860s and Thomas Hardy and later in the, uh, especially as Tess of the Durbervilles, that's like already 1890s. And then he got naturalism, which is like the dark uh, uh, part of realism, which is just really horrible stuff and really end, ending. So this is kind of the lighthearted form of realism. So yeah, that's why it's so important, this book and Jane Austen. That's it. And you know, I did, um, I did afterwards go back and finally read the third in the uh, oh, If There no. Be Thorns. Are we, are we back to Oh, Yes, I did. No, I haven't finished okay. it. I'm, I'm about three quarters, two thirds, three quarters of the way in now. I'll finish it tomorrow. But um, I just thought I would quickly mention it. If There Be Thorns. And this one's garbage as well, you know. Okay. So now the, the brother and sister are, are man and wife, essentially. And they've got the two adopted kids. And uh, one one is with the uh, the dancer boy who died. And the other is with the mother's um husband and basically what happens is one of the little boys is is, i don't know if he's crazy or if he's a bit schizophrenic he he has a lot of problems his behavior is horrible and unruly he's doing a lot of crazy things and they're um they're trying to deal with that meanwhile he's going next door to talk to this rich old lady who's just moved in and the rich old lady is the mother. Of course, yes, yes. The rich old lady is the mother from the original book, and she wants to take away the son because the mother is not only his grandmother but also his stepmother. Yes, because, because it was her the... husband that I was the father. So she wants this kid and her her old servant who knew about the stuff that was going on in the old house because the old house burns down, by the way. So the the mother's now there, <laughs> and the old servant's with her, and he's <laughs> filling the kid with a lot of a lot of religious hate. Be like your great grandfather, the old tyrant who ruled the family. You know, he was he was at twenty billion in the bank. Again, he, it's horrible to everyone. It's Southern Gothic again. Yeah, it's just basically yeah. a radical religion. But um, uh, you know, this is because this is like post Vietnam. This is Vietnam post Vietnam, and it's kind of like U.S. society, guys, is criticizing itself because U.S. is very divided, as you might have realized from from the news between all right so very conservative people and very open people actually there's not much middle ground so i think that's what's happening here usually authors from southern gothic are actually criticizing the um the very mm-hmm. conservative radical that do tend to live in the south that's why southern gothic usually they tend to be tend to be in the south right right and yeah i mean they're very it's got a very again like victorian these victorian novels they got a very social important theme in them even even though they tend to be very trashy kind of paperback novels and trashy kind this of was a, this one was was a bit trashier this one by the way is not told by kathy that it's told by her two sons so this is a bit strange right. because originally kathy's kind of writing her memoirs in the first two books basically all of a sudden this book's written alternate chapters by the two sons so that's a little bit less realistic that they wrote some kind of dual memoir of the I, I don't know like it's a little bit less realistic okay um You're especially while it. one's going through all these issues um but yeah so the mother moves in the servants there he teaches so much sexism in this one i mean again written by a woman so much hatred towards women in in this book it's it's almost hard to read at times wow okay that that's a bit mad okay I mean, I do want to read the first one because the atmosphere sounds interesting and it sounds like an um, interesting plotline, but that sounds a bit too much, yeah. I would say, yeah, I would say the first one is worth reading and then stop. It goes downhill from the second to the third. 
And as I say, I'm not going to try the fourth. And the person who gave me these obviously didn't either, because they only gave me the three. So I think they didn't, didn't bother with the much. fourth either. You know, think much, <laughs> they, uh... they go downhill. But look, well. I've said a lot of words. That is the things I've been reading. I think we need to hear what PJ's been reading. But just before we do, we will quickly hear from this month's sponsor. Oh. This month, we are sponsored by Mrs. Harris's possibly existent products. Possibly. Mrs. Harris is wow. a character from uh, from a Dickens book. And if you go to Mrs. Harris's possibly existent products.com, you can get um, a whole <laughs> range of things that may or may not exist, just like Mrs. Harris may or may not have existed. So there you go. So guys, you it's... get those things there and uh, and make us rich. Yes. Or, or, you know, maybe not get rich. You know, just kind of depends. Are you going to get Who rich? Knows? Depends whether or not it exists, I guess. Yeah. Does, does one exist? We exist, guys. Maybe we're just a product of your imagination. Anyway. While we're on that front, I think we should quickly say hello to all the listeners because we have a lot of people listening on the podcast. Um, but we hello. also have people listening uh, on Oxon Radio in Oxfordshire. So hello to everyone there. Hello there. And uh, of course, if you go to booksboys.com, there's links to all the different podcatchers, the different places you can listen. We're on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, a million places. So all those links and things are, are um, on there. And if you want to talk to us, don't forget we have our mystery book giveaway. Oh. We've got our mystery giveaway. Email us. Tell us what you're reading. You might win a mystery book from the oh. Bitiest Bookshelves. So that's something that you can do as well. And we'd, we'd definitely like to hear what you're reading. And we'd like to give away books. I've got so many um, so many books that I'm still able to give away. Awesome, guys. Awesome. With that said, PJ, what have you been reading? Well, before I tell you what I want to read, I also want to just um, sponsor someone. I, I uh, advertise someone. I suppose I'm advertising myself. Um, so I'm just going to say it. Um, I started a, um, a plant-based nutritional workshop called the Holy Wholesome Life with my partner, Alisa. Now it's her idea, actually. She's a bit more the, um, she's a bit more the creator and I'm kind of putting it all together, but basically we're doing online workshops on how to eat vegan style. And a lot of it is actually raw vegan cuisine. And it's all about being, you know, it's beneficial for your health. How can you uh, not consume meats, animal products, and still be as healthy and not reduce weight? We're also doing some workshops on gaining weight, if you want to, or losing weight using these diets. Also gluten-free, um, gluten-free nutrition, how you get all your vitamins. It's all about basically uh, being healthy and also being conscious about, um, about the planet. So basically just look it up. Uh, we do several workshops and you can also book a workshop with us um, online, as I said, or if you're living on the island of Gran Canaria, also live, although reduced due to COVID right now. But anyway, it's called theholywholesomelife.com. And please join us. Uh, we can leave a link and you can just click on it and have a look, see if you like it. So I've been busy with that. I've been busy with Shakespeare. I'd love to talk about Shakespeare. All I'm going to say is that Shakespeare is the man. He's, he is the bard. And just, just read him. It's been so delightful reading it, reading his stuff. Uh, apart from Shakespeare, I have been reading two books uh, this month. And one, actually, they've been uh, given to me by Dean, sent by post. So I am on an island. Not, not too many English books here. Thank you, Dean. And... It's been our birthday, by the way. Dean, we have to mention that. It's been our birthday. So that's. It's been that's... both of our birthdays yes. in the last week. Yeah. Wow. 20... Well, in the last week and a half, it's been both of our birthdays. Yes. Your birthday in 20 is mine on 23rd. So happy birthday to you, Dean. 
So and happy birthday to you, PJ. So you were three for three days, Dean. You were one year older than me. I mean, you know, on one year paper. older, one year wiser. Really, the the man that you actually look up to and aspire to be for exactly. those three days each so year. So those were some know. precious three days. You know, me looking <laughs> up to you, having to respect you. And yeah, you sent me two P.G. Woodhouse books and a... Oh, wait, I'm not going to mention the third one. But anyway, starting off with P.G. Woodhouse. Who is P.G. Woodhouse? P.G. Woodhouse is a great lad. That's all I say. I'll say a bit more. You're showing, you're showing me the book here, and I see some very spiffing chaps uh, with hats and monocles <laughs> in an open-top uh, convertible. And that is basically the universe P.G. Woodhouse has created. Now, P.G. Woodhouse is... Um, basically a, a comic author uh, from the 1920s, actually not really, uh, 19, uh, 1990s onwards, but he really got popular in the 19-teens, 1920s, actually, first of all, for writing a lot of musicals that became famous in the US. He was a UK author, but he was mainly based in the US. And, but he wrote a lot of comic novels, so he was very prolific. And he created this beautiful universe of shared characters that kept intermingling. And yeah, so it's often kind of characters you would recognize from other books. But I think um, that the Jeeves and Wooster series of books are by far his best. Also, I grew mm-hmm. up with them. My dad loves them. So here's one for my dad. Um, he loves Jeeves and Wooster. Also, the series with Hugh Laurie and Stephen Fry. Look it up. So I started watching them when I was a teen, loved it. And then I started reading the books and I also loved it. I have to say, it's a great adaptation. So watch the TV adaptation from the 90s because it's really realistic. And what I love about these books are um, Guilty Pleasure. Um, Actually, there's a lot of debate about P.G. Woodhouse. In some sense, it's a guilty pleasure because they're very short books. They're very readable because they're comic situations taken to the absurd. So like kind of like Shakespeare's best comedies comedy of errors actually it's it's actually usually a comedy of errors if you think about it yeah it, it usually is and they're very short we're talking uh, agatha christie length you know agatha christie length actually agatha christie's even mentioned in jeeves in the offing and uh, you've read it yourself <laughs> Dean. and yes. actually it's the same kind of concept basically very short it's basically about a man bertie wooster who's rich it, it's great because he's just rich he doesn't have to think at all and he thinks he worries about things like his slippers go go missing and it's like there's not a bother in the world these are the the happy the 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 happy 20s uh or the gay 20s whatever they called it back then it's just basically everyone's jolly it's jazz drinking cocktails and this is the atmosphere of the book there's not a worry in the world and the thing is he did continue writing this up until his his death actually so this Mm -hmm. book is from 1960 but still living in that naive i suppose naive 1920s world it's there's a lot of parallels between between Woodhouse and Agatha Christie in the sense that although they wrote you know, a lot of short books mm. over a long period of time, the, the time period and the setting doesn't really change. They they keep that same universe from the early books. Exactly. So it's always about Bertie Wooster getting into a jam. It's always ridiculous. He's always having to do. He goes to in this book. He goes to his aunt Aunt Dahlia. So he's got two aunts, but this is this is the one he actually really likes, and he goes to her house because his. Um, his man, what's the word now? What's him as a manservant? Is that what they're called? Manservant, manservant, or butler, maybe. Well, his butler, I suppose, is the correct term. His butler, Jeeves, uh, basically goes shrimping at Hearn Bay. And Bertie Wooster, he's kind of like a kid man, he just doesn't know what to do. He's supposed to be in his 30s, I think. 
but he just doesn't know what to do. He's the is a permanent bachelor. He he needs everything to be done by Jeeves. And so obviously, as soon as Jeeves, who's a very intelligent and well-read, well-read, pause, mm-hmm. well-read man, of course, he obviously uh, always at the end of the novel he gets him out of the out of a, uh, a situation of a tricky situation Bertie Wooster always falls in but now Bertie Wooster is left on his own device and he causes havoc he causes mad havoc because he has to go to Aunt Dahlia and make sure that a certain young man doesn't fall in love with a woman and the woman is falling in love with him but they're not supposed to fall in love because they're not of the same class and there is his old schoolmaster Bertie Wooster's old schoolmaster is being a bit of a pain and mm-hmm. I, there is a great character in it uh, who does uh, pop up often, and that's uh, Glossop. And Glossop is basically a, a psychologist, but he's just he's just known as the eminent brain specialist. But he's basically kind of uh, he's a bit of a he's a bit of an idiot actually. And they, <laughs> Sir Roderick Glossop, he does appear a lot, and he's Sir Roderick Glossop is pretending actually to be a butler himself because he wants to observe the psychological. Um, the psychological what is it makeup out of this out of this man who's there falling in love with the wrong girl so it's this kind of stuff guys uh, i won't say more than that basically what can we say about the plot it's um it's always kind of a, it's very similar to a mystery plot in the sense of you don't know how it's going to end you have to kind of figure it out yourself mm-hmm. and jeeves is basically the poirot of uh, of these jeeves and wooster series that's jeeves and the offing guys it might not be his best book, though. So his mm. best book might ha- might be the early uh, books. I particularly like uh, Right Hole Jeeves is a good one. So especially the early Jeeves and Wooster books are a bit more... Um, just they're wittier, I suppose. Uh, and yeah. I, I do want to quote a bit. See, this is why some people disagree. Some people think it's kind of like guilty pleasure, very easy to read. But some people think it's very good literature because he's got a very unique and witty writing style. The writing style is what makes it funny, I think. Now, now, Dean, as far as I know, you weren't too fond of the writing I, style, I, were you? I, no, I like the, the, the world it's set in because it's mm. a similar to like the Christie world. I love that world. I love the characters. Um, I did find that there's not a, a lot of plot if you compare it to a Poirot with his murders, you know, it, 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 it's a bit lacking in that kind of plot. Um, yeah. But what, what got me, I mean, I could read it Fair all day, but it wasn't for the writing style. I think yeah, that... Yeah, so they won't work for you. They, they try, he just tries to make humor by by saying things in like a needlessly stuffy, buddy-duddy kind of way. Uh, and I, it just didn't work for me all the time. Well, P.G. Woodhouse, he does two things. He does, um, I mean, he describes it as basically... This is P.J. Woodhouse talking about his own writing stuff, actually, I'm going to quote. I believe there are two ways of writing novels. One is mine, making a sort of musical comedy without music and ignoring real life altogether. The other is going right deep down into life and not carrying it down. So, yeah, it's basically a music, musical comedy. And don't forget, he wrote, actually, musicals, with, but not the music, the text, and ignoring real life altogether. He's purposely making, and making this life absurd. And I do like his writing styles because he actually tends to abbreviate nouns completely. So one book, Jeeves plays the sizzling eggs and bee on the breakfast table. That's and I the actually think that I, I actually, hated the most. But I really love it because it's like usually, and I find usually my intuition is right. Although this time I had to think for one second because I haven't eaten bacon for so long. 
But I thought it literally, I thought it actually said Jeeves plays the sizzling eggs at breakfast and then on the breakfast table, which it could, which it could be. It's not. It's actually it's probably bacon. I didn't did understand like why you would use those abbreviations. I don't well, know. I think I missed some of the essence of these. Well, another one was just maybe funny for for us is kind of he said I passed a hand over my fevered bro, bro or bro, right, bro. And then he says it later again, I passed an, I passed another hand over my FB, but I thought literally he said I passed another hand over my Facebook. Oh right. <laughs> so obviously then I realize it's not Facebook. Again. It's nineteen yeah. it's nineteen twenties, yeah. Anyway, guys, so it might not be your thing. He also animates objects. That's a big thing with PG Widows. He animates objects. So you might say something like the table was feeling queasy under the weight of the teacup. And it's very mm-hmm. ridiculous descriptions, but I, I think it's very witty. I, I enjoy it. But it could get a it's bit. It's witty. Uh, it just wasn't quite my cup of tea. Well, nicely, nicely said. Oh, tea is mentioned a lot in these books. So, guys, <laughs> that's all I have to say about Jeeves in the offing. Uh, even though I could go on about the beautiful world of PG Woodhouse, uh, give it a go, guys. It's great stuff. I have to say, also, just want to mention the other uh, books he wrote. Um, he did write some serious. Um, actually novels and i have to say it i didn't get the serious ones he wrote he wrote um mm. so his, his real strength lies in comedy and um yeah so stick with the comedy but he's a great short story writer as well so if you don't want to get into his novels just get into short stories with a lot of different characters uh mr muller smith lord esmersworth uh, you know they're all uh, they're all great so I really recommend it. Uh, the one I really recommend is um, called uh, Mulliner Knights with the character Mulliner. I have to say, Dean, I think you might enjoy them more. They're not quite as um, maybe over the top and, right, right. Uh, as uh, the Jeeves and Wooster story. Mulliner Knights is basically Mr. Mulliner and they're at the bar usually and they're not and just someone is um, telling a story or he's telling the story I think, sorry excuse me he's telling the story that's somehow related to something that happened in the bar and I have to say they're all kind of very I thought they were kind of very philosophical stories still very funny and I think you might enjoy these actually Dean so Murner Nights thanks to my dad also for getting for getting me into PG Woodhouse cool and the other novel that I read uh, this is a great novel I really recommend and uh, really enjoyed it. It's by Anne Wedgwood, and it's called The Botanist. And it's been described by the author herself as a cozy mystery. But to be honest, like I, I, I didn't know that when I was reading it, and I thought it's very. Um, I really enjoyed it. It's 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 not really cozy. Like I thought it's quite dark, to be honest. And it might be. I really enjoy the main character. So it's set. It's basically, you know that the character is a murderer. It starts off with the question of my psychopath. And she asks, it's, it's basically a woman who's retired, used to be a doctor. She's living in this house. Her daughter's moved out. Her mother just died. Her husband has kind of disappeared, right? But anyway, she's goes to the beginning. She's just think, worrying about um, her garden because these people have to come in to take out the pipeline. So, and she kind of thought they were coming next week, but they're coming on that day. So it they starts came early. Yeah. They came early. 
And I really enjoy it because it's um, it's not a mystery in the sense of you you don't know who it was. It's it's she's already you know who it is from person. the beginning more it, or less. But you don't really know what exactly it was she did and you what. Don't know. That's that's yeah. it. You don't really know what she did. There's some suspicions, and then even when you know certain details, you don't know everything that that happened. Exactly, and yeah. So just want to mention, listeners, you read it, Dean, already, and yeah. So um, so I read it after you sent it to me, and thank you very much. I'm really enjoying it. Um, influenced by Agatha Christie, definitely, and also it's got a, it's got it's mm-hmm. got a bit of a it's got a similar Agatha Christie vibe of kind of like this dark atmosphere tension, but it's still very readable. I have to say, it's not like it's not like American Psycho, which just leaves you a bit kind of oh, I can't continue this. It's still very readable, but it's still very uh, dark for me, especially after reading P.J. Woodhouse. You know, I think the strength of this book is it's got a very compelling character. You feel for her. It also, I suppose, it also helps that she is, um, I, she she's a retired doctor. She's a woman. Uh, she's not really the kind of person you can't have feelings for. But at the same time, you're always wondering what she's, was it. She's your granny, right? She's a little old lady, you know. And, and that's, that's you're meant to like her. You're meant to like her. And I, I have to say, like um, another strong character in the book is the uh, detective who interviews her. And I really like the description of. Um, of her because she's described as a kind of an interested sheep with dreamy mm-hmm. eyes. And then but all of a sudden she's not a sheep anymore. She's kind of focused and she's asking these very strong questions about the garden. Uh, what the, the thing is, guys, in the garden lies a corpse. Dun, dun, dun. Dun, dun, dun. That's and it. So that's, that's basically the mystery. And of course, the idea is that the uh, protagonist, um, uh, Lillian, she, uh, yeah, she doesn't know what to what to do now. She's worried that they found her out. So this has happened a while ago, and yeah, I mean, yeah, I like it. There's a bit of a, there's a bit of a again Southern Gothic vibe. I feel like you know, even though she's not really uh, a Southern Gothic character, she's she's actually quite rational and not like, you know, I mean, she's she's a very relatable character. Southern Gothic characters are not relatable. Usually, they're very mm-hmm. out there like you just mentioned with V.C. Andrew characters. So she's very relatable, but there is a sense of certain Gothic happening here. It reminded me a bit of Psycho. You just mentioned it. But in this case, she's the Norman Bates character in the sense that she's kind of untrustworthy. You're not sure if you believe her. Um, mm-hmm. You're not sure if you believe the, the Psycho book. Actually, guys, in case you haven't read the Psycho book, is told from the perspective of Norman Bates. And the same here. But yeah, you're not sure exactly what she did. You're not sure if you can trust her. You're not sure if... And you're not sure if she's supposed to be the hero or the villain. You're not sure. Yeah, that is I, really I, I really like that, actually. I really like that. And I'm not sure if I should be liking her. And I'm not sure if I should be forgiving her for the things she did. She did commit... It's always from the beginning if she committed a really terrible sin. So that you are left with that unpleasant sensation. You can't really love her, but you want to... You also don't want her to be, get caught. So I think that's great about that. Yeah, you do. Yeah, it, it's kind of like when you're watching um, something like Tom and Jerry or Sylvester and Tweety cartoons, and you, you know, you're 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 looking from the perspective sometimes of of the the one that's supposed to be the bad guy, but at the same time you do kind of want them to win, you know. And yeah, it's very easily easy to read, but also very well written. I really enjoyed it. I mean, I wish I could talk to Anne Wedgwood about the book because a lot of questions I, I have 
Uh, to ask her. That'd be really cool, wouldn't yeah. it? It'd be really, really cool. Oh, awesome. Hold on a second, PJ. I think I, I think you hear the telephone ringing. Yeah. Uh, All right. Shall we, shall we answer and, and see who's on the line? All right. Well, let's let's see what it is. Hello. Thanks for calling into Books Boys. You've got Dean and PJ on the line. How are you? Hi. Hi. Nice to speak to you. I'm good, thanks. How are you? I'm grand. Oh, Do you want to tell us who we have on the line? Who's this? What? Oh, it's Anne Wedgwood. What? Anne. Wow, that's a spectacular coincidence. We were just talking about your book. This is amazing. Oh, really? This is what I wished. Yeah, I was just saying, oh, wow. I would love to talk to you about your book, and you're actually calling in. Well, this isn't is that helpful? <laughs> that, I'm, glad, that... I'm glad I've caught you. It's exciting to hear you've been reading it. Yes, I'm very much enjoying it. We've both, Dean has finished it, and I haven't reached the ending yet, so please no spoilers. Dean, by the way, is a big one for spoilers. I have to keep stopping him, and I, I really don't enjoy it. But yeah, thanks for calling <laughs> in, Anne. Um, so I, I love your book. I really have to say, um, I wanted to ask you, I really wanted to ask you one particular question, uh, which is, which it's on my mind the whole time, because it's basically, you know, Lillian Templeton, uh, the retired doctor, as I mentioned just earlier, she's found a dead body in her garden. And I have to say, like, what, how did you come up with this idea? I'm really curious oh. about it. What, what, what inspired you to write a full novel starting off with that great premise? Well, I didn't start off writing a novel about a dead body and being in someone's garden. I actually wrote a novel about somebody killing someone. And um, and then I ended up telling the story backwards, really, because I guess you come in at the end of the story. And and as you'll know from reading the book, it's in certain two time zones, the present and the past. And the past, work, the past works backwards. So that when you the point you, that you end up much early, much later in the book, about three quarters of the way through the book, you read something that is where I started from. So That's the point great. I started from is buried much later on in the book. Right. Okay. So actually, so yeah, sorry, your writing process, you actually, that was the first thing you wrote at that point. It wasn't at all written chronologically, was it? I mean, no, no, oh, I, right. Okay. Yeah. Mm-hmm. No, no, I wrote that book four times actually. Wow. Um, okay. In, in different ways. Um, and yeah, I, and it was always told from different points of view. One version had a diary in it. One version was a, classic detective book all about Ronnie Twist um and, but the, the, and that was really boring it was a terrible version and, wow. and and it ended up this way because I wanted to explain how it happened and why it happened but I didn't want to explain that at the beginning I thought it was much more exciting to save it to the end so the start point of the book is 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 a lot later on within it um yeah it just seemed like the right place to start in the end with with somebody unearthing a body well, no, I, I love the way it starts. Um, I love the way that starts off with, well, you know who committed the murder, but you don't, you don't know what, why she did it, and you don't know what caused it. It's uh, a bit different than your usual kind of who done yeah. it. It's a why done it, not a who done it. Yes, a why done it. Well done. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's great. Yeah, and I think it's great. Um, and I really like your characters. I think it's really strong in. Um, just these characters i mean especially uh lillian templeton but i also really have to say i really enjoyed the i ronnie twist so the, oh, the detective character and she i love the way she's described as a curious sheep oh yes and, yeah it's a curious <laughs> sheep and she has a distant kind of look dreamy look you describe it as and yeah. then yet she focuses uh, all of a sudden and, and catches um lillian T- templeton uh, off guard and i think that's a great uh, character you know and the sergeant, uh, the sergeant, uh, Luke Carter, is kind of like, I feel like he's almost like just, he's almost the, 
kind of you need a more relaxed character because they're quite intense uh, templeton and, and twist and i yeah. think those are three great characters i think yeah. the sergeant picked up on the on the sort of sweet granny vibe you know he kind of felt sorry yeah. for her a little bit getting interrogated and everything that was yeah. the plan yes yeah. <laughs> But, but, yeah. Ronnie, but Ronnie Twist is not, you know, not getting fooled. I, I love that, yeah. I love that. Oh, I'm glad. I like. I wanted her to be a bit of a, um, a wolf in sheep's clothing. Yeah, that's, um, and that's the way you describe her in the book as well. It's great. Good. Oh, I'm glad that's come across. Yeah, it's great. Is this uh, going to be, you know, because presumably you want to, you know, you want to write more novels down the line. Do you think that, that Ronnie Twist is a character that you'll want to revisit? Oh, definitely. Um, I'm just finishing up the next book. It's with early readers at the moment. And um, it's also got Ronnie Twist in it. Um, Like uh, The Botanist, it's not all about Ronnie Twist, but it's told from somebody else's point of view. But she is in there solving a crime in Beverly. And um, I've got a third one in my head at the moment. So they're going to be called the, The Twist in the Tale novels. Yes, that's what I read as well. We can work out why. Yes, that's why. Very good. Uh, I love that um, because that's what it says at the back of the book. That is set in the market town of Beverly, East Yorkshire. And this mm-hmm. is the first in a series of twists in the tale mysteries. And I think it's great that you're already committed to, um, you've already like said this is going to be a series of books, even though the second one is not out yet and the third one is your head. So I'm really looking forward to this shared universe and Ronnie Twist. <laughs> well, you'll certainly know Beverly very well by the time you, if you read, keep, keep reading them, because there's more and more little bits of Beverly in each book. And right. uh, people who live here have really enjoyed it. But, and I'm hoping it might inspire one or two to come and visit. It's a really nice place to be. Nice. Okay, great. Well, yeah. Be, and I love that when you, you have a shared universe, especially if it's, a, you know, like, um, I mean, you've got this with some authors that they just, they always come back to the same universe. I'm thinking of um, On the about Zach, which is a human comedy, like writing 50 novels and they're all kind of interlinked. People keep appearing. Mm. So mm. yeah, please, I, I, I want to read more of these books. <laughs> Good. Yeah, it's great. Um, let, me, let me ask you something. When you decided that you first, you wanted to write a book, did you always know that it was going to be a mystery novel? Is that the book you mm. always wanted to write? I think so. Yes. I mean, I, I do read, I read a lot of books myself as, as you guys do. Um, when I started off at 11 with Agatha Christie, um, I little knew that I'd still be reading books at the grand old age I've now reached, which I'm not going to share with you. <laughs> <laughs> and I still do love the detective fiction, but I also read a lot of literary fiction as well. Now. Um, I think it's inevitable. It was going to end up being a mystery book. I feel I'm better at plotting than description. I think if you're going to write a more classic literary book, you're, you've got to be a, a better writer than I am. Yeah, I, 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 I'm thrilled that people like my books, but I'm not kidding myself. I'm not the next, um, you know, um, I don't know, the next Anne Tyler or something like that. Um, but I think I've read enough, so many books that I, I, I understood the importance of, of keeping secrets back and twists and turns and red herrings and detectives generally. So I think it was always going to be inevitable, but it was right, thinking of a good story that was held me back for years and years and years, as well as a busy life. Um, and it was when I got the idea, which is behind the, the story of the botanist, Lillian's story, that I felt able to actually get a plot going and put something down. Not on paper these days, is it? It's on a screen. <laughs> wow. Well, yeah, uh, great job. And I think Lillian, she's a character that I feel like you're not really supposed to support. I'm, I don't know, but I can't help, you know, I can't help hoping that she's, 
that she'll be all right. And I kind of, I feel for her, you know, I really feel for her. And I feel like it's just, am I a psychopath? Uh, perhaps, but maybe we're all a bit psychopath, you know, <laughs> uh-huh. psychopathically. Yeah, so. A lovable villain, eh? She well, is yes, a lovable exactly. villain because, you know, to be fair, in the very beginning, I thought, okay, we found a body. And I liked the character and I thought, she's a little old lady, you know, um, can we somehow say that she didn't do it? But then, no, it becomes sort of apparent early on that, you know, she did do it. And then I think, okay, let's hope there's good reasons why she did it. You know, and I'm just constantly on her side and I'm really hoping that, and again, mm. we're not going to give away the ending, but you don't you don't really know until the end whether, whether she'd get away with it or not, to be honest. And the whole time I was just hoping she would. She is that you kind of side with her she is the lovable villain she's the one that you hope that she gets away with it mm. you know that's good because that's what i wanted to achieve and i did deliberately keep people i wanted people to be kept guessing right to the end i mean if you find out what happens at the end what's the point of turning to turning the next page so i feel yeah you've got to keep the the, the very last um answer for the reader until right at the very end um so that is what i tried to do cool. keep the reader hooked yeah it's interesting yeah. that you mentioned uh, Agatha Christie because that is where oh, yeah. where I, I we first uh, became aware of each other was when um, we got speaking after I put a, an Instagram photo with plenty of Agatha Christie books on. Uh, <laughs> I, I put out a little tea set and a little uh, cake trays and everything with Agatha Christie books being served up to to eat. You know? It's very pretty. <laughs> it's very sweet. It's great. And, and I got Dean into Agatha Christie because um, I started reading her when I was a teen, but and Dean started reading her a bit later but actually he's almost read he's read almost every single Agatha Christie book yeah so so I never me. I never like, thought I would so like it fans. and PJ gave me and then there were none and I said well this is pretty good let's get some more and now on my yeah. shelf I have about 70 so there's literally a couple that I'm missing I think she wrote 70 wow. something so there's a few that that's I'm missing, impressive <laughs> that is impressive <laughs> no she doesn't it doesn't matter that it's set, set such a long time ago the plot's it still work it doesn't matter that you know it doesn't even feel dated because so much of it is about character and about what people say rather than the the times that they're living with and you don't find yourself thinking oh well what about having a mobile phone because it's just not relevant she's such a good plotter completely yeah uh, out of the top of your head do you have a favorite agatha christie book oh uh, yeah you stole my question yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. i think it's everybody's favorite. well i think it's a lot of people's favorite yeah. and that's um, the murder of roger Ackroyd. All right, yeah, classic. That's a good one. I have to say, I think my favorite one is the first one I read, so The Murder in the Nile. Uh, um, I just watched one of that, that on the telly the it's, other it's, day. <laughs> it's there a is classic, a new, yeah. There's a new film of that coming out, I think, there this is. year or next, yeah. I can't wait to see that. I really want to see that. I think, she, And I did love all the David Suchet's on the telly. I think he did yeah. a beautiful job. Mm. Um, they were just so beautifully nuanced. Her, her character and Miss, the Miss Marples, she's just created such mm. fabulous characters in Poirot and Miss oh, yeah. totally. um, that you can't fail to enjoy enjoy those but they're all just so clever they're just very clever but my, my oh, dad yeah. made a clip once he said if anybody's ever got grey eyes they're usually the murderer <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great well, let, me great ask, that... let, me, let me ask you then do you prefer um, Poirot over Miss Marple or are you a Miss Marple fan oh that's thing. much too hard i don't <laughs> i can answer i think i think i'd go for Poirot, and the reason is because he has other great characters with him mm. i love um i love captain hastings mm-hmm. and i really really love um oh, what's her name you know the lady that Mrs. writes oliver 
Oh uh, yeah, I love Ariadne Oliver and her and her apples, and all those things. And I think because you get a, you get a little bit of a package with with Poirot. So for that reason, I would he would probably just get the edge. But I do like Miss Marple. She's and somebody said to me once that um, Lillian Templeton is like Miss Marple gone bad, mm. and she is yeah. because. Yeah, she looks like a sweet little old lady, but she really isn't. Yeah. And so I've got a very soft spot for her. Nice. Okay. Um, do you have any recommendation for writers who are, or people who are trying to write potential writers, people who are particularly uh, struggling being creative during these odd times we're living in? Um, I'm just wondering if you have any advice for you know, uh, my new writers. Tip, actually, is get out and walk. All right, get on a walk. Uh, I go for a walk. Most days I go for two walks. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, we were lucky in Beverly. We have an area called the Westwood, which is a big pasture. There's cows on it at the moment. The farmers let their cows out. And you Lovely. can just huge, big green space. You can walk up to the top of the hill. The, the, the black mill on the cover of the book, I walk up to yeah. that black mill twice, twice a day, most days. All right. And it's always when I'm walking that I sort the ideas out. Whether right. it's planning, thinking about characters for a new book or ironing out a little plot twist that I need to sort out. I always sort out my thinking when I'm walking. And I think just getting out of the house, not looking at the four walls, not having anything particular to do or think about frees up your brain so that you can get those ideas. Do you know oh, which famous author had the same process? Oh, no, I don't. Who? Jay, do you know? Um, not right now. No. Who? Uh, uh, Mr. Charles Dickens. Oh, does right. he? Really? Dickens, he would right. walk okay. the streets of London every single night, and that was how, where he got all his ideas really? for his characters and his books. Yeah. Wow. Oh, well, I'm oh, then. <laughs> well, okay. Well, look, compare. Look, it's good. Nice to be compared to Dickens. This and is so very that's nice. great. <laughs> so it's great, and actually, Dickens came to mind as well with the whole shared universe uh, thing. So. Dickens is my my personal favorite and I actually had a similar journey to yourself I started out once PJ lent me some you know the the original Agatha Christie I started out reading a lot of crime books and then Mm. I progressed through to to more literary fiction and I'm reading a lot of uh, a lot of Victorian stuff at the moment obsessed Uh, with Victorian stuff obsessed with it (laughs) (laughs) I mean I'm thinking of just changing the name to just the Victorian literature podcast you know because it's just basically Dean reading Victorian literature and I might read something else as a kind of a comic relief part. Wow. Yes, you need a bit of comic relief. <laughs> well, and why don't you tell us what you've been reading yourself lately, uh, you know, particularly during the lockdown oh, yeah. and things? Sure. Yeah, well, um, at the beginning of lockdown, I wanted to read um, the new Hilary Mantel, the, the, the Mirror in the Light. But I decided in order to get into her world again, I needed to go back to the beginning of Wolf Hall. So I read the entire Hilary Mantel trilogy. All right, okay. all, which took about three or four months um that was that was wonderful that was very immersive um and then more recently i read i've read some ishiguro I read, oh i love i love ishiguro yeah i've oh, just read when we were orphans oh such um, a good one mm-hmm. but regularly i try to read the, the sort of books that i'm trying to write as well so <laughs> i've recently read some um some color dexter some morse Hmm. And I regularly read um, Barbara Vine or Ruth Rendell, either of of, of her of her writings, because okay. she writes from the point of view of um, individuals who are a bit off kilter, like Lillian. Right. Okay. If I try to write from the point of view of a normal person, it turns out very boring. So <laughs> I have to write from the point of view of people who are definitely not normal. 
um, hence Lillian. And um, the, the Soloist, is my second book, is also written from the point of view of somebody who's not quite like Lillian, but nonetheless not, you know, is a bit quirky. So, and oh. that's what Barbara Vine does. So I, I'm reading one of her books at the moment, The House of Stairs, for, for inspiration as to how to get inside the mind of somebody like that. Awesome, yeah. Um, yeah, I'd love to read some of those books. I, um, I, I am a big fan of Ishiguro, but I actually haven't read the others, so I'd love to read them. Um, great, but we were when we were orphans is a good one because that's uh, that's his only detective novel, right? So uh, yes, it is. Yes, yes. and, it's, and yes. it's a kind of an unusual detective, isn't he? He's kind of uh, yes. I forgot his name now, but it's a it's a great setting as well. I find that whole Shanghai segment at the end is very dramatic and yeah, great. yeah, it's, it's fascinating. And I particularly enjoyed the beginning when he's a little boy and as well, yeah. Things. Oh, yeah, yeah, it, that was great. Oh, and where the crawdads sing, which is the much more recently oh. written book but oh i love that book that was beautiful okay. so Great. yeah that's a good one okay wow well, Anne, thank you very much for calling in. I'm going to finish with the, the same question that we always ask uh, every author that, that calls into the show. We ask them if there's one book, maybe I should have told you this in advance so you could prepare. Thanks for that. If there's one book that you wish you had written, what would it have been? Oh, Of Mice and Men, it's my favourite book. Right. Okay. Cool. That wasn't too hard, actually. Yeah. That's the one that popped up. Okay. You came. You came straight there. You knew it straight away. Very yeah, good. Yeah, and and because that is so character driven, it's okay. you know you know those people. You can say Lenny would do that. George would do that. He wouldn't do the other. Curly wouldn't do that. You, it's it's so beautifully written. It's a great plot and it's great characters. Wow. Awesome. I I do, I do particularly love characters. I think that's. That's what draws me to Agatha Christie. That's what draws me to Dickens. And that's why I really liked Lillian, um, you know, in, in your book, in The Botanist, because she is just, she's an intriguing character at, at the end of the day. As we said earlier, you, you want to support her, but at the same time, she did some bad things. And I, you, you get into her head a little bit and you sort of understand why. And ca- characters are so important, you know. I, I really do love good character work. And life's not simple, is it? <laughs> no. <laughs> well, it's not yet. Yeah, I think the characters, uh, yeah, very the character. It's a character-driven plot, guys. So if you're into that, uh, go ahead, and you, we can you can get her book, The Botanist, um, in Amazon, right? But Amazon. also, can on you the... can you also get them directly from Blossom Springs Publishing? Your publishing That's house. That's right. There's a, there's okay. a link on their website. There's a link on my website as well. Yeah, Wedgwood.com. Yeah, you can get the That's link right. there. Yeah. We'll also yeah. we'll also leave a link then. And yes, uh, please, guys, uh, read this great book. And I'm really looking forward to the next Twist in the Tail uh, book. Definitely going to read it. I'll keep you posted. Thanks, Anne. Thanks, Anne. Have a great evening. Bye. See you. Bye. Thanks Thanks for calling. (laughs) Wow. Well, PJ, how how unexpected was that? That Anne would call in right as we were mentioning that. Wow. Yeah, that's bad. But that's, that's karma, guys. You know, sometimes you meet the people you admire. And they call up with the show. So, there you go. so everyone check out The Botanist. We do recommend that. But PJ, I think we have other recommendations, right? We do indeed, guys. We have some recommendations. Talking about crime authors, talking about comic authors, I've got two. First of all, one of my favorite uh, crime authors is Seicho Matsumoto. He is Japan's most famous crime author. He made it popular in the 60s. And he kind of added a lot of uh, kind of like post-Second World War nihilism and very dark and about police corruption. And he kind of made it 
quite philosophical, the, the crime fiction. So check up Seichu Matsumoto and uh, check up his book, Points and Lines. It's a great mystery uh, novel uh, about trains and train stations. It's a great sort of uh, plot twist at the end. I love it. Uh, easy to read as well. He's basically Agatha. He's basically he's basically the um, Agatha Christie of Japan. Okay. So he's very well renowned there, but not that famous here. So check him out. And for the comic book, not comic book lovers, but oh. I mean comic novel lovers. Okay. Okay. We here have we go. Look, here we go. Spider Man <laughs> Part Three Thousand. Spider-Man, Spider-Man, the vegan story uh, line. Yeah, Lucky Jim by Kingsley Amos, a classic by 1954. Uh, highly recommend it, guys. Uh, really funny, like really funny. I, I actually rarely have laughed out so much. Uh, again, descriptions are ridiculous. The profession of the guy, he's a medieval history uh, lecturer. Uh, Jim Dixon is his name. So he has this, he has this kind of, well, I suppose, Kings the Amos took the driest subject he could think of and made this guy a lecturer. And he's not like, he's not, I don't know, he's kind of like very, he lacks confidence. He has a kind of a girlfriend called Margaret who tried to commit suicide. I mean, it's got a lot of dark themes, but it's very ridiculous as well. And it's just, um, yeah, no, it's great. It's just really funny. And I was quite emotional at the end, though. So it's got a, I liked it as well. It's really nice. Uh, Lucky Jim by King's Dame is the book that made him famous. Not a British novel. What about you, Dean? Um, So I thought, you know, what we really need is, because I've been reading all this Victorian stuff, and I just thought, for my recommendation, why don't I just pick a book that's easy, it's accessible, anyone can read it, anyone will be interested in it. So, of course, I've gone for transcripts of ancient Greek trials from classical Athens. Um, That is a very easy read, indeed. (laughs) So just just something for the kids, you know? Something for the kids. Uh, just read it, you know, before going to bed at the train station, waiting, waiting for your loved one. There you go. Easy this is Christo- Christopher Carey was the editor on this one, uh, on the Routledge series, uh, Trials from Classical <laughs> Athens. Now, That's very I'm going to say, to be honest, there's only like 250 pages, so it is short to read. It's a really fun book. I know that you're going to say, how can it be? These are transcripts of, of court cases, of actual court cases. In, in classical sort of 5th to 4th century BC Athens. But they're hilarious. So first of all, it's interesting to see that they're arguing about the same things we are. There's homicide cases. There's assault and wounding cases. So it's Nothing's concerning changed. property, commercial you know, disputes about inheritance, that kind of thing, citizenship. Uh, well, sacred olives, that's not so modern. <laughs> but all the others, you know. Oh, right, okay. So all the, and it's the same <laughs> kind of ideas. And the way they did court speeches in Athens was basically you wouldn't go in and be questioned. You would just write a set speech and you would deliver your speech. The opposition oh, yeah. would deliver theirs and the best speech wins. It was a kind of theater. It's, it's a debate class. So the basis to exist was all these debate so you classes. Would, you would pay people to write a good speech for you. And now, guys, if you're wondering, Dean actually does read this stuff with great pleasure. And uh, these are amazing. Yeah, there's so much you fun. Have a, you have a high tolerance. You have a high <laughs> tolerance for all kinds of stuff, Dean. I, I suppose dad. I do. Yeah, I, I love I these. Uh, we've got all the greats. Antiphon with his homicide cases. Lysias, Isaios, uh, Hyperides is in here. And the big one, Demosthenes, the famous oh. the famous politician. So a lot well, of good well, he's, stuff he's, in here. He's kind of like, he's the equivalent of Jim Carrey, isn't he? Uh, of those times. <laughs> he's quite the chap. But some of this stuff, it's just fun to read. 
the speeches are they they they're witty at times because they're they're a kind of theater and they're 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 just good reads. I really like them, and I think that anyone could sit down and read one of these uh, one of these cases. And of course, you would you would pay a good speechwriter to write your speech for you so that you could win um, in the in the case. It's it's brilliant. It's I really really of recommend course. if anyone has any interest in, in classical Greece and you're just reading and uh, I you know the Odyssey or um you know Plutarch or you know Strabo's Geography or some garbage. Just read some trials, like you know. Just read some trials. All right, read some trials. You know, that's easy my, reading, that's guys. That's my my recommendation. Um, I think we're going to take a quick ad break. We're going to hear a quick ad for one or two other great podcasts, uh, and we'll be back oh. in about two minutes. Oh. Hello, my name is Tasman Cooey, and I'm the game master for Tangent Tabletop, an actual play D and D podcast. In this show, we're telling a story that puts our characters in a constant moral dilemma where they have to ask themselves the question, am I doing what's right? The world of Iglos is very divided, with many sides to a seemingly impending war where the fate of the world is at risk. We tell this story through roleplay, music, and sound effects that will drag you into the world and make you ask yourselves the same question every step of the way. Please join me in the world of Iglos by listening to Tangent Tabletop on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Hi, I'm Fearful Jesuit, host of The Paranoid Strain, a show that explains conspiracy theories to normal people. Every episode is carefully researched, fully scripted, and incorporates interviews, audio clips, original music, and a bunch of nonsense to explain the history, impact, and bizarre beliefs related to one conspiracy topic at a time. We're doing an extensive series on secret societies. You know, the Knights Templar, the Freemasons, the Illuminati, and we'd love to have you along for the ride. New episodes drop every two weeks, wherever you get your podcasts. Okay, guys, there were some ads. So I think, PJ, that we're, we're almost done. We've, we've covered the botanist. We've had our sponsor. We've told everyone to go to booksboys.com and especially to click that Patreon link and get all our juicy, juicy bonus content. Oh, yeah, guys. And there's more stuff um, appearing next month. Mm-hmm. So have a look out, particularly. You know, I'm feeling some Shakespeare. I'm still feeling, feeling the Shakespeare vibes. I can't wait to get, and... through, to get through Hamlet. Well, yeah, so there's been plenty of stuff happening. And we've got a few more stuff happening, but we're not going to mention it quite yet. But we've got some, some cool ideas. Stuff, some stuff in the works. It's going to be really good. Um, and, of course, yeah. we, we hope that everyone likes that. Uh, by the way, there's links on the website to our, our social medias where I, I post daily. So there's there's a lot of stuff on there for people who want to see things as well. Um, there you go, guys. And don't forget, we mentioned Lev Tolstoy. He said, the first crime of mankind ever committed is when man started eating and killing animals. Of course, I'm mentioning follows up also in The Holy Wholesome Life. Why don't you read a book and have a nice vegan soup beside it? There Hot we go. Uh, PJ, I did a video on Instagram of me reading Dickens, well, pretending to read Dickens, whilst listening to, of course, Django Reinhardt on the, on the vinyl, on the record player, Gypsy Jazz. Of course it did. I uh, got over a thousand views, and I felt like such a happy little millennial, you know, such a happy little millennial. That's, that, 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 that sounds exactly the thing like you would do anyway, so there you go. <laughs> yeah, but now, now I get to do it and be cool with the kids. Guys, it's time for us to take you out with a song, and we have a special treat, PJ. Oh, yeah. Well, having read all this Shakespeare, 
we of course had to take one of the songs from his plays, particularly The Tempest, was one of my favorite characters of all Shakespeare plays, Ariel, mm -hmm. the spirit of the island. So this is Ariel's song performed by both of us and my partner in the Holy Wholesome Life, my partner in life, Alisa. So the three of us are actually singing the song. So here's this a Shakespearean so treat for we thee. Have, we have PJ on, uh, on, on the lead, really, on lead vocals and guitar with Alicia on harmonies. And I did a little bit of percussion and then I do some backing vocals in, and some background effects and things in, and keyboard in the second half. Um, I, I love this one. I think we did a really, really bang up job on this one. So, well, I think I think Shakespeare would be proud of us. Can we say that? Is that a big bit headed? I mean, he'll be he'd be proud of us, you know, reviving his song anyway in the year twenty twenty one. So, and I'm happy with it. So here it is, guys. Enjoy it. Maybe dance along. I tried to make it sound very bard esque, kind of very sort of being in a bit of a tavern bar in. Yeah, kind of, you know, sixteen six. I, uh, I might have, I so. might have um, brought it too much to the eighties in the final, yes, uh, the final sort of verse. But uh, you we know, have a tendency to do that, Dean. Have I, a I have a tendency to, bring to do that 80s. with everything. Yeah, yes. <laughs> everything becomes becomes eighties. Well, look, guys, we're going to take you out with that song, and then of course our usual credit uh, outro sequence, and we'll be back in about a month. All right, guys. See you. Take it easy. Oh!
was presented by the Dean and PJ Burke in association with Thaddeus Penguin Productions. Ah. This episode was brought to you by our sponsor, Mrs. Harris's Possibly Existent Products. If you would like to get in touch, you can email us at booksboys at hotmail.com or visit us at booksboys.com. The intro uses Driving in the 70s from the Of Soundtracks and Garage Bands EP by Trapdoor. And the outro uses Dog's Light by Bravo Max from the album of the same name. All music used is either Podsafe or used with permission. If you'd like to support the show, click on the Amazon or Audible referral links on booksboys.com or go to patreon.com slash booksboys and get all of the Bufanda Boys bonus shows. Thank you kindly for listening to us. Please tell your friends, and come back next time for another episode of Books Boys. Read some books! Hold on a second, you can record me putting on a funny voice like that, if you'd like to. Hold on a second, you can put it. Straight at the blooper of Jesus. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.